Celebrating the connection with our pets, this is Animal Radio, featuring your dream team, veterinarian Dr. Debbie White and groomer Joey Villani. And here are your hosts, Hal Abrams and Judy Francis. Do you know what kind of pet you have? Well, certainly if it's a cat or dog, you probably know the difference. But do you know what kind of breed? Is it a mutt? What is making up the DNA of your dog or your cat? And do you care? A lot of people do. You know, there's about 10 different tests on the market right now where you can send in, uh, what, saliva or cheek spittle, I guess? Yeah. Cheek swab. <laughs> cheek swab. It's, it's, it's actually the epithelial. So it's the cells that you're getting off the wow. cheek, not, just, Ep- not necessarily the spit. Epithelius? <laughs> is that what you said there? I learned so much from you. <laughs> and they'll tell you, you know, if it's uh, what kind of breed it is, or if it's uh, made up of several different breeds. You did this, Judy. You did this. Uh, and I think your results came back like lion and elephant. There were two different. They weren't even dogs. <laughs> oh, it was it was so bizarre. She, you know, she's full grown now. She weighs nine pounds, and it came back all these Saint Bernards, German Shepherds, Belgian Malinois. <laughs> I thought, really? So I did. That was a cheek swab, and then when I did the blood. Oh, you did a blood test. I too. did a blood. It okay. came back uh, Jack Russell, miniature pincer. Pincher and Maltese. And are you going with that? Oh, definitely. She's definitely Jack Russell. Came out 50% Jack Russell, and that's what she is. Now, why did you want to know this information? Well, first of all, I didn't want a Jack Russell. Because I, <laughs> oh no! Yeah, because I, I did my research and I know how hyper they are, and I'm not a you know that hyper of person. I want a more laid back dog, and so I did my research and got her from a rescue when she was eight weeks old. They said she was a Chihuahua, but there was no Chihuahua in this girl, and I I questioned that as she got a little bit older, and I thought, okay, I got to find out, and I, I just I wanted to know what she was because people ask, people look at her, and everybody had their guesses, and it's like I don't know, and I wanted to know what my dog was. But would it be safe? to say you didn't want a Jack Russell, but you love your dog. Oh, I would not trade her for the world. I'd take, I'll keep that little 50% So the blood Jack. test really made little difference in, in anything, really, except telling people. But Just what it was. It was kind of like bragging rights to know what my dog is and be able to say when people ask. That's basically why I did it. But then again, still, at least I know if there's anything I should look at you know, with the breeds that she may be predisposed to down the line. You mean line like a sickness or a disease? Health, yeah, yeah. Health? Yeah, if she starts doing something or something happens, and I can say, well, that's typical of this breed. So what kind of diseases and sicknesses are typical of, what did you say? Was it Jack Russell? Jack Russell, 50%. And a, and a min, min pin. Min pin. Um, well, we can see a lot of things with um, uh, knees. So we can see patellar yes. luxations. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> She's had two two knee surgeries, yeah. two okay. bad legs. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. that and but that also fits with a lot of other small breeds. Um, but you know there can be some host of skin diseases, allergies that we may not have like a specific test for. Um, you know, but there are some conditions in some breeds, like say um, uh, golden retrievers, have a genetic uh, link with seizures. So if you had a yellow uh, large breed dog and you didn't know what it was and it started um, developing seizures, and if I knew this dog was a golden retriever, I'd say, wow, you know, sometimes golden retrievers can be very challenging to manage with seizures and we really have to use every uh, means at our disposal to try to get those seizures under control. So it wouldn't change necessarily, you know, would I treat or not treat, but it might make us say, okay, our expectations are this is going to be a more challenging patient to try to manage. 
manage. Mm. Um, so that's one exa- example. But there's a whole tons of things. You know, cataracts are inherited. Heart diseases with certain breeds can be inherited. Um, and kidney problems with cats. There's a type of polycystic kidney disease, a kidney disease in um, Himalayans and Persian type cats that can cause different problems. So, you know, there's all sorts of things that there are genetic tests for. It doesn't mean your dog or cat will get them. It just may mean they have some genetic tendency or um, um, genetic marker for that. So I see these online tests, and but you do it in your office there? Do, do veterinarians offer these tests? Yeah, I mean, not everyone is going to do that, but we, we do like that. And it's, it's, um, one is it's kind of the ooh, cool factor, you know, so you can, you know, have a, a party and people will ask and you can actually have some answer that sounds, <laughs> you know, like you didn't just make this up. That's one important thing. But I, but I do think it, it can help guide, um, some decisions on awareness, um, and potentially your pet's health down the road. So I wouldn't say it will make me do something different for a patient as far as putting them to sleep, but I do think it's important information to be armed with to know what you need to worry about um, to watch for in your pet's life. I agree. And if you can't afford it and somebody asks what kind of dog you have, say snuffle up, I guess. It really will throw (laughs) the middle. It'll be different. So we're going to talk to a lady today, a doctor, Dr. Lisa Moses. She practices pain and palliative care at the Angel Animal Medical Center in Boston, and she says you may not want to bet the farm when you do one of these tests as sometimes the information may not be accurate. And I wanted to find out about this. How important is it? Are people making decisions with bad information? So we'll have her on the show in just a few minutes to talk about that. Also today, we're going to be talking to the folks over at Smoke Alarm Monitoring. What's this guy's name? It's spelled really weird. Z-S-O-L-T. Zolt. Is that Hungarian? What is that? Sounds like it could be. He says our pets are starting fires. He sells smoke alarms for a living, and he says that our pets are actually, while they're unattended, starting fires in our house. See, I hide the matches. You do? Little delinquents, my goodness. Yes. (laughs) What do you expect? But first, your calls, toll-free, 1-866-405-8405. And don't forget, you can also ask your questions from the free Animal Radio app for iPhone and Android. Let's go to Gary. Hey, Gary, how are you? I'm very good, sir. How are you? Very good. Where are you calling from today? You have kind of that southern twang. Uh, North Carolina. North Carolina. How, how is North Carolina today? It's kind of warm. It's not unbearably hot, but it's a warm day. What's going on with the animals? I have the whole team here for you. Okay. Well, I've uh, been listening to your program lately uh, over the last several weeks and was interested in the discussion that I've heard about yeast infections, uh, skin uh, conditions, and the treatments, and then also... Uh, there was also somewhat of a separate discussion about the use of human products on animals and, you know, how effective they can be or harmful or whatever the case may be. And I wanted to tell you about my little guy. Um, I'll give you a little background on him, a little uh, the, the tail of the tape. He's uh, approximately eight years old, as, as far as we know. He's a Yorkie mix. He's a small guy, uh, just a shade under eight pounds. And uh, I found him abandoned out in the country. And uh, he was in pretty bad shape. He was missing hair and had a lot of uh, parasites and uh, skin infections, yeast, and and all that. And we've been battling it for nearly three years now, but he's made much improvement, just great improvement. Um, I kind of took it upon myself to use a a product that's designed for human females, actually, uh, who might have that kind of uh, affliction, um, and, and rubbed it liberally on the elephant skin areas of my dog 
And after doing that for three or four days in a row, it really seemed to help clear it up. What do you think of that, Mm -hmm. Doc? Well, you know, we have to be precise when we talk about, you know, different products because there's some products that actually can have harmful ingredients in them and some, you know, won't hurt and actually have active ingredients that might be appropriate. Um, so I'm going to back up because when we talk about elephant skin and kind of that thickened skin, like for anybody who's not seen this in dogs, it, it typically is when their skin gets real thick, leathery, um, it, they lose the hair in the area, and it actually from a distance looks like elephant skin. And that's a combination of uh, what we call hyperpigmentation, so the skin turns dark, and lichenification, which is where the skin becomes thick and there's extra layers, if you will, that kind of are um, put on top of the skin. Those things happen from a couple possibilities. So we can see it with allergies, but really with um, things like yeast and bacterial infections. So, um, you know, it sounds like you're certainly barking up the right tree there. Um, but the cautions I have with um, some of the female um, yeast products that are used for vaginal yeast infections, um, there are some that actually contain anesthetics. Um, a vagicil, for example, contains a, an ingredient called benzocaine. And this well, can be highly. I used. I used the generic, but yeah, that you're on the right tree there. Okay. <laughs> yeah. So actually, benzocaine uh, can cause toxicities in in both dogs and cats. Um, so just licking it off their skin, it can actually be toxic to the red blood cells. Causes what we call a meth hemoglobinemia. So if it contains that ingredient, I would say put it back on the shelf and save it for your wife in the household. (laughs) Um, But there are certainly like, say, athlete's foot creams that contain um, chlortrimazole, which is an Mm -hmm. antifungal. And in that, you know, I've had, um, we've used that on surface yeast infections. But the reality is, if we've got that kind of change in the skin, most of those pets actually need kind of a two-pronged approach. So the topicals only get you so far, um, and they really need to be on some kind of oral or systemic therapy. So most of the pets that I have with that kind of skin can take a course of maybe three months to get them improved, um, Uh controlling the itch, controlling the infection. If they've got yeast or bacteria, then we put them on either an antibiotic or an oral yeast form, like ketoconazole per se. Um, And that may be something that they need to be on those pills for months because uh, it can take mm-hmm. that long for that skin to recover from that damage that it suffers from that okay um, so, now what i didn't say too is he he has also been on apoquil for quite a long time okay yeah, and, and, so, and, that, and, and he's made great improvement over the the time that i we've been together okay Good. And, and, you know, definitely, you know, controlling the allergies is, you know, that's taking the fuel off the fire. Um, but if you still have that kind of chronic change to the skin, we're not there yet. And then there's still some things that can be done to try to get that back to a more lustrous skin. I have an awesome photo of a before and after on a pet from, oh, gosh, it's probably about eight years ago, um, a quichian that had horrible malassezia dermatitis, so yeast dermatitis, and uh, just looked like about... A, I'd say less than a quarter of the hair was on this dog and it was on the head and on the feet. And after three months, um, we looked almost like a real dog. <laughs> and by six months, she had almost her full hair coat back. But it took um, being on an antifungal uh, 
tablet. Um, she was on medicated shampoos. Um, we had to control her allergies with um, an allergy medicine. Um, and uh, yeah, it was a lot of upkeep, but you know, we can get there. It's just a, it's a lot of work. Okay, very good. Well, I appreciate your help. You know what, Gary? I've been doing this for 18 years now, listening to Dr. Debbie answer all kinds of questions, and this is a first. This is a great question. I've never never heard this before. Well, the screener told me the same thing, so I'm glad I could break some new ground. (laughs) Thanks for listening. You're listening to Animal Radio. Call the Dream Team now at 1-866-405-8405. Fido Friendly Magazine presents the 10th Annual Cross-Country Pet Adoption Tour. Get your licks on Route 66. Powered by Nissan, the tour travels from Los Angeles to Chicago, stopping at shelters along the way to support adoption events. Companion sponsors Tito's Vodka and Dog Legs join in the fun as media sponsor Animal Radio broadcasts the tour from September 8th to October 14th. Pet Box sponsor Paw Pack and pet insurance sponsor Embrace Pet Insurance support the tour along with advocate sponsors Buddy Belts, Pecurian, Hands-On Gloves, and Rolf C. Hagen. Attendees at each event stand in line to donate money and spin our giant spinning wheel filled with great prizes they can win. Provided by sponsors like Community Sponsors, Cosequin Joint Health Supplements, Petmate, Dexas, Senden, and Canaday, where all proceeds benefit the shelter at the end of the day. Log on to FidoFriendly.com and find out where the tour stops near you. And who knows, you might just find your new forever friend. You're listening to Animal Radio. Call the Dream Team now at 1-866-405-8405. It's Animal Radio, and we are doing a new old feature here. A new old fe- How can that be? Yeah. They're flashbacks. Is it new or is it old, Hal? We started these flashbacks last week, and these are not the kind of flashbacks that you have after, you know, the 60s or anything like that. These are flashbacks of what's happened in the last 18 years on Animal Radio. We've had some great guests. This hour, Ed Asner, one of her first guests on the show. Was he I, be- really? I believe I he was. I that far back. A couple of times. Yeah, he's been on a few times. Several times. And he's still alive. So we figured we'd play this uh, flashback while he's still alive. Because isn't isn't it? Don't don't go there, Hal. Isn't Animal Radio where you go to die? Don't go there, No, I I knew you were going there. Because you you look down the list of a thousand celebrities here. (laughs) Not many of them are still alive. Not many are. Hal, don't go there. That's because they grow old and realize how much they love animals, Hal. Okay. There you go. Well, Ed Asner on the way here on Animal Radio. Also your calls. What are we working on in the newsroom there, Miss Brooks? Well, I have for you uh, most pet-friendly cities in the country for 2018. And uh, uh, if you're a cat lover, we've been talking a lot about dogs, but if you're a cat lover, I'm going to tell you about your dream job. Ooh, okay. Hi, Mark. Hi there. How How are you? Really well. How are you doing today? I'm doing great. What part of this country are you calling from today? Uh, right outside of Nashville, Tennessee. Well, thank you for listening. I have the whole dream team here for you. What's going on with your pets? Okay, great. Yeah, so we uh, just got a new dog about three months ago. She's around a year old. Um, she's been going outside to use the bathroom just great, but we crate her when we leave the house. Uh, we're never going for more than maybe two or three hours. Uh, when we come back, um, her cage is just soaked and she's covered and um, she's just shaking and we, we don't know what's going on with her. Okay. Just seems and, to be anxiety, some kind of anxiety problem maybe. 
Yeah. And has she has she been acclimated to a crate? Is that something she's familiar with at other times? Um, we've been we've been working her uh, working with her on it since we've had her. I, the people that owned her before us, uh, she was actually an outside dog. Uh, then um, she had a lot of issues when we got her. She had fleas and ticks and some other things going on. So we got all that straightened out. And so we've been trying to we keep her in the house. And then when we're not at home, we crate her. Okay. And then um, has she been in the crate before and done well? And just recently she started to do this potty in? No, it's it's pretty much, well, now that I think about it, there for the first few times we didn't really notice the the urine as bad. But, yeah, recent, recently when, you know, when we get home it's it's just covered and she's covered. and Wow. Okay. And we don't even have to be gone that long. <laughs> Okay. All right. And then on the crate size, so um, I'm assuming, how, how big is your dog? And about, how big is the crate? Um, she's about 13 pounds, and we we uh, have a crate that she has room to move around in, but it's definitely large enough for her. It's not too large, I don't think. But, okay, because yeah. that's one of the big things we look at when we when we do utilize a crate uh, for training purposes is we want to make sure that the crate isn't too big that we can walk to one side of the crate, illuminate, and then um, curl up in another corner and sleep comfortably. And so for most dogs, dog crates, we want it to be large enough for them to stand up and to turn around, but it really doesn't need to be a whole lot bigger. So for, okay. you know, for, for a dachshund, you know, they got long back, so I would probably say maybe one and a half dog lengths <laughs> might be yeah. um, what I'd be looking at. So um, just big enough to kind of do that big, long back turnaround. Um, okay. So I would examine that. And the other homework I would give you is to set up some kind of means to videotape her as you're leaving because okay, yeah, there's weird. there's different things that can be at play here. Um, separation anxiety is an actual, you know, anxiety um, condition that, that dogs have when they are in the absence of their owners. Um, so for a dog that has separation anxiety, they may urinate, they may defecate, they may be destructive, they may vocalize. So if we're trying to figure out if this peeing is part of separation anxiety, the camera, um, you set that up and when you leave, most dogs with separation anxiety manifest those symptoms within the first 15 minutes of your departure. So okay. if if the peeing starts right away and she's very anxious and you, you document all of that happening right at the, the time that you're leaving, then we have a dog that crating is actually going to make her separation anxiety worse. And we're going to okay. have to find some other strategy to, to manage the situation. Um, but if this is more as time goes on and you're gone for two hours and then she has the accident later, then we're looking at a, a totally different thing that may be playing at, uh, um, at okay. play here. Okay. And the other thing I would, you know, anytime I have a pet with a peeing or pooping problem, I do want to give them the benefit of the doubt and make sure we check them medically. So, you know, have a urine sample checked, have her evaluated by a veterinarian, make sure there's not something going on there. Um, sure. Yeah, and, we're actually uh, having her spayed very soon, so. Okay. Um, I'll mention it to them when we go there. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. And that would be an ideal time they can sample because, um, you know, we, we'll want to get on, on top of that. And, yeah. uh Hopefully that will give you some insight into the direction that we're going to need to go, and okay. uh, 
And then, of course, you know, a lot of dogs feel shame when something like this happens. They don't understand. They just know our disappointed faces, you know, the sigh in our voice. So they pick up on those nonverbal cues. So then they become almost like, you know, oh, they know they did wrong. Yeah. (laughs) And so we could take it easier on her. We just took her outside and and cleaned her off. And I I don't think she likes the water too much either. So (laughs) good. Maybe that's what she's afraid of at this point. Yeah. All right. So, yeah, let's do a little sleep work and then and then we can take that to the next spot and then uh, and let me know I'd, I'd love to follow up and, and see how she's doing okay thanks Thank for your you. call mark listening on news talk 94 one in nashville tennessee this healthy serving of animal radio is brought to you by the grain-free red barn naturals canned food for dogs and cats always made in the usa with natural functional ingredients to support your pet's optimal health Learn more at redbarninc.com. And thank you, Red Barn, for underwriting Animal Radio. Nature at its best is nature at its simplest. At Red Barn, we've kept it simple for 20 years by concentrating on single-ingredient natural dog treats. Because Mother Nature's actually pretty good at this. Bones are just tasty bones. Meat treats are just nourishing meat. It's nature at its simplest. Look at the label. We want you to. Red Barn Natural Treats. Simply the best. Find it in your local pet specialty store. Try our slow-roasted natural meaty bones. You're listening to Animal Radio. Find us at AnimalRadio.com. Log on, learn more. This is an Animal Radio News Update. I'm Lori Brooks. A proposed ordinance in Onslow County, North Carolina, would require dog owners to explicitly let the community know if their pet is dangerous. In North Carolina, by the way, a dog is classified as dangerous if it has gone after and bitten a human two or more times. Now, this ordinance would give the owners of those dogs classified by the county as dangerous three days to appeal that decision. The proposed precautions are for the owners to muzzle their dogs while they're out on a walk. And also, they might have to update their outside kennels to have a roof and also put a sign up saying, beware of dog on their property. The County Board of Animal Services is going to hold a vote on those changes to the existing ordinance sometime next month. Now, all right for you cat lovers who sit around dreaming about what the perfect job would be. I think I found it. If you've ever dreamed of perhaps quitting your job and living out your life, saving cats, of course, on a gorgeous Greek island, I have found you the job of your dreams. A cat rescue in Greece called God's Little People Cat Rescue is looking for a new caretaker to look after 55 cats (laughs) on this exclusive Greek island. And they're also offering free lodging in the form of the sanctuary manager's house that overlooks the Aegean Sea. Whoa, when do I sign? I'm packing my bags. I'm retiring tomorrow, you guys. Yeah. And uh, the personal finance website, WalletHub.com, has released a report on this year's most pet-friendly cities. The lowest scoring cities, because they did 100 of like the biggest cities in the country. The lowest scoring, those in the bottom five, were Baltimore, Laredo, Texas, Fort Wayne, Indiana, Buffalo, New York, and the worst at number 100, Honolulu, Hawaii. Now, the most friendly animal cities in the 100 cities that were ranked have Phoenix at number five in fourth place, Austin, Texas. Number three on the list is San Diego. 
At number two, Orlando, and the most animal-friendly city in the country this year, that title going to Scottsdale, Arizona. Hmm. I always wonder what the criteria is for these lists. Honolulu, Hawaii coming in the worst, which is kind of interesting. But there were some other key things that they found that were kind of interesting. Uh, For example, Columbus, Ohio has the lowest average veterinary care cost per visit. So if you live in Columbus, Ohio, the average cost to go to the vet, $37.26. That's, that's on the low end. That's cheap. Yeah, that's incredibly cheap. Now, New York City has the highest at $79.30 in average per visit. Uh, Miami has the, the most veterinarians of all the cities that they surveyed. And uh, St. Paul, Minnesota has the lowest monthly dog insurance premium at about $35 a month, while New York City has the highest average at $83.50 per month. Hmm. Pretty high. I'm Lori Brooks. Get more breaking animal news anytime at AnimalRadio.com. This has been an Animal Radio News Update. Get more at AnimalRadio.com. And now an Animal Radio Flashback. I want to welcome back our friend Ed Asner. Hey, Ed, how you doing? Good, and you? Are, are you in the bathroom? No. Do you want me to be? No, no. <laughs> I, I just, it, it sounds like a little bit of an echo there. Well, I, I have that built into my chat. That's, uh, He's got his own reverb. That's awesome. Well, now do we have any animals at home? We got two beauties. Dogs, cats. Say hello, Shirley. <laughs> You're not you're not talking about your wife, are you? No, no, I'm not. Uh, I'm, I'm I'm separated right now. Are you oh, really? Sorry to hear that. I didn't oh, know nice that. Nice going, Hal. Thanks for bringing that up. I yeah. really brought everyone down now. But well, you you have a, a, a cat or a dog? Well, I have three two cats. cats. Three cats. Two. Two, two cats. cats. Yeah. So you've always had cats here. You're not. You don't like dogs, do you? You're, oh, I do. What you are you do? talking about? Well, I don't know. You Come seem on, like a cat guy. Rumors about this. I've nice never man. seen Ed with Stop with it. with a with a dog. Well, uh, I, uh, I I don't flaunt it. I uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm very uh, uh, circumspect about being seen in public with a dog. What does it mean if you're seen in public with a dog? Well, people say, "Look at that dog he's with." Ah, ah. And they would be talking about you, I think. What? What? Oh, what, Judy! What? what, what no, you were what, inferring. What, what, uh, but my peripatetic life, I, uh, uh, <laughs> uh, it's much easier to live with cats. And I can leave them with friends. And uh, uh. they don't uh, they don't commit harikiri at my <laughs> absence. Although they... They're a little more user-friendly than dogs. Yeah, they are. A dog just needs more attention. The cats are low maintenance. Yeah. You don't really have to. They sleep all day. And dogs, they want to. They always want to be with you. They always want to take out, take you out. Or well, whatever. my my cat Wheezy has, has, does need to be with me. He uh, he sleeps on top of my head. Oh, jeez. Why the name? <laughs> why the name Wheezy? Well, when I got him, he was suffering from um, um, uh, herpes in the lungs. Ooh. And uh, I got him cured, uh, but until I got him cured, he was doing a lot of wheezing. So he sleeps on your head there. He keeps keeps your head warm, I would imagine, which is good. <laughs> Better yeah. than wearing a cap, huh? Yeah. Sometimes I can't breathe. And what about, what about Shirley? 
Well, sure. No, it, it, I, I just, uh, I was jesting. My other cat is, my other cat is Archie. Archie? Yeah. As in Archibald? It could be. It's, it's up to you. If you don't like Archie, you can try Archibald. Where does, where he does, doesn't come to either name. It doesn't matter. Yeah, cats <laughs> never come when they're called anyway. Mm, well, Wheezy does. Does he? Yeah. yeah. Where does Archie sleep? Well, uh, if he if he comes home, he sleeps wow. uh, on a chair or on a couch. Uh, he's Mr. Outside. He's, he's a cat about town. He's a player. Yeah, he, you know, uh, my my assistant refers to him as, you know, uh, leaning up against the building in the shade, uh, smoking a reefer, <laughs> hat, hat tipped down over his eye. What, what's cooking, baby? I think I met him. Yeah. Well, it sounds like you have fun with your animals there. I do, I do. What do you think about uh, this? I know you're always politically involved. Every time we've called, you've you've always had something to bitch about. What do you think about what's going on in the Gulf with the oil spill and all do that? Do I need Do I need to bitch? No, I I think yeah. we probably Seriously, share the same sediments. No, but go yeah. ahead. <laughs> the same sediments. It's sediments, I guess, with the yeah. oil. oil sediment. In it, it's no, smooth. I think uh, I think it's. Uh, you know how many uh, oil derricks are out there in the in the Gulf? I have no, no clue. Uh -uh. How about 3,500? No. Whoa, over 1,000? No, seriously? Yeah. So this could happen potentially to any one of them. It can happen off the coast of California. It can happen off the coast of Florida, I suppose. Could... Is this the beginning of the end? You know, they say 2012 is the end. Is this oil spill? We haven't capped it yet. I mean, is this it? Should I start racking up my credit card? <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, you can take mine. Okay. <laughs> There's no tomorrow. Okay. Well, we appreciate your time your today. Aspect. Well, I, I like being with you. You're jaunty and jolly. We have fun with yeah, you. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, and I, uh, I'm, I'm glad you're concerned about oil. I think that's important for the uh, American citizens to be concerned. Yeah, we're also worried about all those animals down there. Yeah, that's really our primary concern. We really couldn't care much yeah, about the oil. we're not all that broken up about BP. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I'm not uh, BP, uh, before petroleum. Mm -hmm. That's where we're going, I hope. Yeah. Do you have uh, solar things going on at your house? Do you? I, I lease my house. Yeah? Yeah, since I separated. Mm. Uh, but I drive a Prius, and I'm proud of it. Oh, that's so you're, good. You're there a green you go. guy, huh? I hope so. Are you a vegetarian, too? Someone told me that. I would want to be. I would be a lot slimmer if I were. Yeah? yeah. If steaks weren't so good, I'd be a vegetarian. I do enjoy yeah. a good steak every once in a while. So it's I know, tough. but well, it's and I find I don't eat that much steak. I, I, it's uh, I I eat prepared foods and eat out a lot, and uh, the salt and the MSG and the other crap oh, yes. they put in. Uh, the MSG is the worst. I know. I know. Can't uh, can't lose weight with that crap. No, it'll preserve your body. It'll last a long time with that <laughs> preservative there. Oh, you don't need to build a pyramid. You've, uh, you haven't changed how you look over, uh, geez. For, as long as I've known you, Careful you look the same. <laughs> really? Well, you've, you've gotten a few more gray hairs, but you, you've yeah. looked pretty much the same. You've kept your youth. What's the secret? Is it the preservatives? It must be. It must be. Uh, more, more, more sex good, I guess. MSG. Uh. Uh. <laughs> I liked it. It was funny. That's good. Thanks, darling. 
<laughs> Ed, thank you so much for joining us today. We appreciate it. We, before you go, can you do a little sweeper for us that we'd run in between segments that says, Hi, I'm Ed Asner on Animal Radio, and either spay or neuter your animals or whatever Love little you message pets, you'd like to give? Hi, I'm Ed Asner, and you're on Animal Radio. Spay or neuter your animals, you dummies. <laughs> That's the best one ever. Ed, you're awesome. Thank you. My pleasure. Take care. Have a great week. Thanks, Ed. Thank you. This has been an Animal Radio flashback. Listen to more Animal Radio at animalradio.pet. This is Animal Radio, baby. Here are today's automotive news headlines. I'm Nick Miles. I spent the best part of a week on the German-Austrian border test driving the new Aston Martin DBS Superleggera. This is the pinnacle of the DB cars from Aston. The company put a new 5.2-liter twin-turbo engine in the DBS, creating 715 horsepower. Now, it does cost $305,000 with a top speed of 211 miles an hour. You could drive from New York to Los Angeles in under 14 hours at that speed. And it gets 0 to 60 miles an hour in 3.3 seconds. For more, go to OurAutoExpert.com. Think O'Reilly Auto Parts for all of your car needs. We're close, convenient, and known for our guaranteed everyday low prices and excellent customer service from professional parts people you can trust. Stop by your local O'Reilly Auto Parts today. O'Reilly Auto Parts. Better parts, better prices, every day. You're listening to Animal Radio. If you missed any part of today's show, visit us at AnimalRadio.com or download the Animal Radio app for iPhone and Android. Just another thing to worry about, ladies and gentlemen, leaving your own house, going out for the afternoon, and mm-hmm. the dog or the cat starting a fire. Ooh. Apparently, they're playing with matches. I don't know. They're, <laughs> I don't know how this happens, but I just found out this information from a press release from a, uh, a company that makes smoke alarms. In fact, they make, I got to say more than smoke alarms. It's sort of like a monitoring service and smart smoke alarms. And we have the CEO of Smoke Alarm Monitoring, or SAM. Joining us, it's Schalt Shappy. Hi, Schalt. is it Schalt? It's Zolt, but I go by Z. Z, okay. How I don't you... pronounce it or spell it, so I stick with Z. It's pronounced Zolt. Remember Zaza? Yes. Oh, yeah. As yep. in Gabor, yes. Yep, so Zolt Shappy. Yeah, she had that ZSA thing going, too. Yes. That's it. So tell us, what should I be worried about my pets starting a fire when I'm out, unattended. Apparently this happens. It, it certainly does happen. And uh, just to give you an idea of what the statistics look like, there are about a million and a half fires every single year. And uh, about 4,000 humans will die from fires, but more than 40,000 pets are affected by those house fires every single year because they unfortunately can't pick up the phone and dial 911 and they can't get out. So they're stuck in the home, whether or not they started the fire. But uh, usually it's pets that are uh, a larger breed or cats that will get up onto the stove, for example. And why are they going to the stove? They smell food. So when we cook the bacon in the morning and then we light that candle to get rid of the smell, uh, they're going to run over there. They're curious. They're sniffing around. And the larger breed dogs are going to jump up and they'll start turning the, the knobs on the stove by accident, obviously. But before you know it, enough fumes, gas fumes build up, and then that candle will start that fire through an explosion. So that's the absolute worst case scenario because that's a total loss. But you also have pets that are chewing on wires. 
And uh, if you run over to a local hardware store, they actually sell little wire looms where you could wrap up all of your computer wires and everything else that's loose to protect them from pets chewing on them, especially cats. They love chewing the wires. How frequent are these? Uh, There are only about 1,000 fires every year that are directly caused by pets. But uh, as I said, there are many more pets that are affected every single year by house fires. And those are the ones that we really want to focus on because many times it's not their fault, but they're stuck in the house. And it's usually the smoke that does them in because by the time your neighbors or somebody else sees the smoke coming out of the house, the entire home is already engulfed. I can attest that I have a, a fair amount of clients that do report that they've had cats, you know, knock over candles, um, uh, you know, jump up on stoves and, you know, you know, have towels catch fire and things like that. So it does happen. I can't say I had any disasters that I know of in my clientele, but um, a lot of near misses. Oh, great. Now I'm never yeah. going to leave the house again. <laughs> and don't they tend to hide when something like that happens, I mean, don't they run and hide under beds and stuff when it sure. you know, disasters like that? That's one of like the that? issues of getting them out. So it's important to have a good fire safety plan in place, uh, not just for the humans, but for the pets also. And the easiest way to do that is by putting signage onto your front and back doors. It's a tiny little sticker. It could be four by four inches. Your fire department will usually give them away. We give them away for free as well. And it'll just say that uh, in case of fire, occupants in this residence include, and then there are little check boxes, how many adults, how many children, dogs, cats, reptiles, birds. And you could put additional instructions on there because, as you said, uh, when there is something that gets them upset, when there's an event, whether it's folks, uh, smoke, fire, fireworks, thunder, our pets will run to their safe place. And that could be a crate. That could be a part of the house where they know that they're safe. And unfortunately, uh, emergency services won't know where that is unless it's indicated on that sticker. So that's one of the easiest ways to let fire safety professionals know where your pets are. Mm. Very informative. Z, what's the website? It is www.smokealarmmonitoring.com. Thanks so much for spending some time with us today. Thank you. That's intriguing. I had no idea whatsoever. I have seen Nike up on the stove. You know, it's hard with cats when you have a stove, um, like I used to have one of those, um, it's electric, and then, you know, it's got the outlines of what would be the burners where it heats, Uh, and cats just jump up there. It's like, no. Toll free, 1-866-405-8405. Have you checked in today? You know, you can do it through the free Animal Radio app for iPhone, Android, and BlackBerry. This portion of Animal Radio is underwritten by author Helen Brown and in the tradition of her best-selling memoir, Cleo, Helen Brown's Bono, The Amazing Story of a Rescue Cat Who Inspired a Community, is a heartwarming true story about a cat who just wanted a home and someone to love. Her website's HelenBrown.com. Thank you, Helen Brown, for underwriting Animal Radio. You're listening to Animal Radio. Call the Dream Team now at 1-866-405-8405. Now an animal radio news brief. Man's best friend could be on the cutting edge of cancer research with their apparent ability to detect changes in their owners. There have been plenty of stories of people whose dogs have changed their behavior when they've developed a disease or cancer. Dr. Cindy Otto of the University of Pennsylvania is working to detect cancer in humans with the use of dogs called super sniffers. She says dogs' noses have millions more odor detectors than humans. 
Well, there's a French bank, and apparently they've had to do a lot of apologizing lately. The bank says that they were trying to take advantage of social media networks when they posted a picture that seemed to show a squirrel with its testicles caught on a bird feeder. Oh, it hurt. The picture was accompanied with a message promoting insurance that will cover any temporary injury. The bank says they regret the posting that it hurt their Facebook followers and any potential customers. This has been an Animal Radio News Brief. Get more at animalradio.pet. Do you travel with your dog? Of course. My pets are part of our family. Me too. I take Daisy with me everywhere. Right, Daisy? So how do you find out what hotels welcome your dog? I read Fido Friendly, the travel and lifestyle magazine for you and your dog. Sounds perfect for planning our next vacation. Right, Daisy? It is. Their motto is leave no dog behind, and they have great hotel and destination reviews. Where can I find the magazine? Go online to FidoFriendly.com. I will for sure. Come on, Daisy. We're off to find our next adventure. Celebrating the connection with our pets, this is Animal Radio, featuring your dream team, veterinarian Dr. Debbie White and groomer Joey Villani. And here are your hosts, Hal Abrams and Judy Francis. Go grab your pet. I don't care what breed it is. Of course, you may care what breed it is. In this hour, we're going to find out how accurate DNA tests are. About, uh, oh, I'd say maybe 12 years ago, we started to see these DNA tests show up on the market. Yeah, I did mine probably about eight years ago or so. Okay. Eight to nine years. And they were cheek swabs and blood tests. And there were really only like a couple of them on the market mm-hmm. at the time. Now I looked uh, this last week to see how many DNA tests are. How many? There are 10, at least 10, that are on the market that you can get online. Wow. All you have to do is send in your dog's cheek sample. They send you a little kit, mm-hmm. and then you send in, uh, uh, you take this little Q-tip out, and you rub their cheek, mm-hmm. and you send that back in an envelope, and they tell you what breed you have, what kind of, what makes up your mutt. Mm-hmm. And uh, it could be something crazy. We've heard some people say, that, hey, you know, these, uh, these don't sound very accurate. And there's really no certification or regulation of this particular industry right now. People are making medical decisions based on the breeds of their animals because certain animals might be predisposed to certain sicknesses or diseases or illnesses or leg problems. Like Ladybug the Studio Stunt Dog, she uh, she had that luxating patella, had surgery on both legs, cost you a bundle. Uh, yeah, many, many thousands. Did you know before that that she was... Uh, well, once I found out what she was in a Jack Russell, and plus the fact that she is a small dog, yes, I knew that that was going to be a possibility. Um, I don't think there's anything I could do to prevent it but i was just aware of it and i saved my money (laughs) yeah there is a greater concern and greater question now as to the accuracy of these tests and dr lisa moses she practices pain and palliative care at angel animal medical center she's chiming in on the accuracy of these tests and whether whether or not we should give them any kind of credence she doesn't want you making a decision about your pet's health based on these tests she, uh, well, we'll find out what she has to say. That's coming up this hour right here on Animal Radio. Lori, what are you working on over there? Got my, my grubby little hands on an, uh, a big, huge study that they did on pet ownership. It took eight years to do, and we got some great information from it. So I'm going to share that with you. I think I can say pet owners, without doing any of the study, pet owners are the best people in the world. They, uh, that's one of them. Yeah, yeah. it is one of them. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, I've got the facts coming up, Hal. Okay. If you want misinformation, I'm a wealth of misinformation. Lori Brooks, she she does all her fact checking. Doctor Debbie, you want to take some calls? Yeah, let's take some calls, please. Hi, Jamie. How are you doing? 
Oh, I'm doing great. How are you doing? Good. Where are you? Um, let's see. I'm headed to... Where are we headed to? Branson. <laughs> Branson, Missouri? Yeah. Oh, wow. Wow. I've always wanted to go there. I've heard good things about it. Are you a truck driver? No. my um, One of my best girlfriends, she and her husband um, part in a timeshare there. Oh. And they invited my husband and I to go for next all of next week. So you're heading out on vacation, yes? Yes. Now, do you bring any animals with you? Well, that's why I called originally. Uh, we, we have a cat. His name is Tex. It's actually my grandson's cat, but he lives with us. The cat lives with us because the, pa- the, the parents of my grandson are divorced, and they all have dogs, all of them, like lots of dogs. So we kept the cat at our house, and we love him. He's like four years old. He's a gray tabby, but he wants to eat um, the carpet. And my Oriental rug, mm. and we even, oh yeah, and in the our bedroom we had curtains that you know just it's like a double pane window, and it comes kind of low to the floor mm-hmm. and pretty high up. And he ate the curtains were made of the like silk strings that hang down. He ate half of the curtain. Mm. If you can imagine that, like from the wow. floor half of those to where I just well that went on over some time but eventually I just took them down and put them away I thought well and he's continuing to like work on the carpets and your throw rugs and all that so yeah I got rid of the curtains and we we always had blinds so now the the blinds are there so um but I was concerned if it was going to mess up his insides by eating string and it's not just the curtains Cause they're away, they're put away now, but he will get like find something that he can pull and get string out, and he will eat the string. Okay. If you put a shoelace down, he would just sit there and eat it till it's all gone. Yeah, and, that, and that's definitely a big problem, and you can definitely hit upon one major thing is the string, and the 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 problem that we run into with cats is that they tend to, like, nibble on, you know, things like yarn or string, or if they're actually ingesting a fabric-like material, that can cause a very dangerous foreign body, what we call a linear foreign body, and and the reason it's so dangerous is because it's soft, it's pliable, it bends, and we would think it would move through, but it actually kind of acts like a cheese grater, and it slices into the intestinal wall because there's not enough substance for the body to recognize it and move it through. So, yeah, this is a big health risk for him. Now, Tex, um, how long has Tex been with you now? Well, he's lived with us for about four years. Four years now, okay. And has this been going on that whole time, or is this something more recent? Well, I think it was. It just started, like, mainly when we put those curtains up, didn't it, Jim? But he does, he likes to chew, like, you know, where our carpet is, like in our family room, uh, where it ends, then the tile the ceramic tile picks up he likes to you know you can mess with that on the edge enough to pull it up and then you see mm-hmm. the little ravels and he wants to get those and it, you know he chews on those but well, the first uh, is gone now <laughs> 
Oh gosh, yeah, <laughs> I don't blame you. And the the general behavior and and what's the, what he's doing is generally termed uh, wool sucking, and that's at least the 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 oral fixation type part of things. When that moves into where they're actually eating and ingesting those items, that's where it becomes a really big health danger. There's a lot of cats that do this wool sucking where they you know suck or just kind of um, moisten you know the the fabrics where they be you know blankets, bedding, um, you know carpeting, things like that. If they're not ingesting it, it's kind of an obsessive compulsive behavior. For yeah. whatever reason, for text, this is moved up on the on that chain to something that's more of a health threat. So when we look at wool sucking, there are some breeds that we see more of this in cats, and some of like the the Oriental cats, like Siamese cats or Burmese, we see a lot of this type of we- weird behavior. A big challenge, and, and the challenge you're going to have for text is that the root of this is very likely a behavioral problem that we're going to have to work on. In rare cases, would we have like a medical case, uh, um, a cause of this? So things that will be challenging you to work with on tax are going to be things to do environmental enrichment. And, and because cats indoors live a happy, well-cared-for lifestyle, um, you know, they got a lot of time on their hands. <laughs> I'm home with him uh, all day. Okay. Uh, I'm there, and so when I see him doing this, you know, I say no. He knows what the word no means. In fact, he seems like he understands a lot, and he just chooses to ignore it. Yeah, and and we have to watch that because sometimes he will he will stop. That that lets me know he does understand the word no. Yeah, but he does like when I leave the room. I've seen him just walk across the carpet like he's just walking across and suddenly uh, bend bend his head down and take a bite. Mm-hmm. Yeah, now, carpet. in one context, when you're present and you're telling him, no, stop that, Although it seems like you're disciplining him and telling him no and teaching him, you may actually be causing this to happen more. Um, because and dogs and cats, they sometimes are like small children and want to get a rise out of us, want to get some attention. So if chewing on the carpet gets you to say, hey, what are you doing? He's already won that little game there. Now, I think for Tex, it's it escalated beyond that. And he this is a self-rewarding behavior in a lot of ways. So this might be something we need to talk about, the possibility of some behavioral drug therapy. Um, but before we talk about drugs and putting them on something to stop that, environmentally, the things that we can do to help enrich his environment, to try to give him some other solutions other than turning to this behavior, would be things to keep him active. So even though you're there with him during the day, doesn't mean that um, you know he's maybe satisfied physically. And, and it's hard to imagine what, what's going on in a cat's head, but we'd want him to increase his exercise. We'd want um, active play sessions. Um, so you're playing, you know, cat interactive games, the cat dancer, laser light games, um, and actually a lot of food related games. So where there's actually some effort where he has to find food, where you put it in like a kitty toy, um, something where he has to actively work for his food. And that helps to replace some of that lack of that in the indoor cat environment because everything's kind of given to them, kind of like a king or a queen. Um, But I would definitely work on some of those things to try to give him more activity. It's so hard with cats. He used to play a lot when he was younger as far as like when you would hold something up overhead, he would jump and and then he quit doing all of that. And and he likes those like ponytail holders. They're cuffed, they're elastic, but they have you know, stuff wrapping around them. 
but they're very tight. It's not that he can bite it out, the cloth off, but he likes to play with those. He'll throw them up in the air, and, and he chew, but he chews on those, too, but he's, yeah, not, getting, he's and not ingesting anything. I don't want you to use anything that resembles anything string-like, carpet-like, or fabric-like. So those things are going to kind of kind of feed that desire to, to chew on the fabric type thing. So we want to avoid that particular type of toy. Um, I had some cats that used to love little foil balls, so I'd take pieces of aluminum foil and make them into pretty good-sized balls, and they'd bat those around, and those were lightweight. But I, I would definitely try to stay away from the fabric things. And then, you know, we, we might really need to see about maybe getting some chemical help here. Um, for kitties, we do use some drugs like Prozac. Um, there's one called clomipramine, which I use a lot as well for kitties. And sometimes that really can help uh, one of these behavior-rooted problems. Um, so, you know, Jamie, I think you're going to have some work there as far as in getting Mr. Tex to kind of see things your way. Um, but uh, give some of those things a try. I hope that is helpful and hope that helps him uh, kind of fight his obsessive-compulsive uh, behavior here. This is Dr. Debbie at Animal Radio. Give me a call at one 866 405-8405. You're listening to Animal Radio. Call the Dream Team now at 1-866-405-8405. Hi, Randy Travis here, and you're listening to Animal Radio. Hi, this is Brandon McMillan, host of the weekly CBS TV series, Lucky Dog. I'm also the spokesperson for the 10th annual Get Your Licks on Route 66 Pet Adoption Tour, brought to you by Fido Friendly Magazine. The tour travels from L.A. to Chicago, stopping at shelters along the way to support adoption events. I'll be at the L.A. kickoff event on September 8th, along with some great pets that are available for adoption. Log on to FidoFriendly.com to find out where the tour stops near you. And who knows, you just might find your new forever friend. You're listening to Animal Radio. Call the Dream Team now at 1-866-405-8405. It's Animal Radio, celebrating the connection with our pets. And if you were listening last hour, you found out that unattended pets account for many, many fires. And we're talking about like you leave the house and they start a fire. Yeah. I didn't know this. This is really weird. Now I'm a little bit concerned that when I leave the house that uh, my cat, who already counter surfs, <laughs> might start a fire. Something like that. Or at least get burned when the oven's on. Or something like, I don't know. I have the stove is what I meant to say there. Yeah. Probably wouldn't get into the oven. That would be tough. You'd need the opposable thumbs. <laughs> Open that, yeah. But we found that out last hour on Animal Radio. Now, if you missed any part of today's show, you can head on over to animalradio.pet or download the Animal Radio app for iPhone, Android, and BlackBerry and listen to that again. You lucky dog. We're too damn good to you here at Animal Radio. Lori, what are you working on over there in the newsroom? God, uh, we have a great study coming up that they spent, researchers and experts, spent eight years doing this study. And we got a lot of little, you know, nuggets of just fascinating information from it. But one of the most fascinating was, what is the perfect pet for a child? Interesting. And we'll tell you what came out there. And, and what are the least favorite pets that people have owned? I saw a little bit about this study, and I got to say, I was intrigued to find out what the most liked pet for a child was. So you want to stick yeah. around for that. It was kind of shocking. Huh? It is. Although I, as a youngster, that was my first pet. That so. explains a lot. Really? Yeah. Okay. That's on the way. Going to line two for Dr. Debbie. Hi, Sean. How are you doing? Hi. 
I have a quick question. I live in Minnesota, so it's a colder climate, and I have 10 acres, and it's been, I bought it um, after it was vacant for a couple years, so we remodeled the house and everything, and the pasture has grown up over the last three years, and I was considering buying some goats, and I was wondering if you could recommend a brand that can handle the cold and that would be good. We have like little brush and grass and all that kind of stuff. And then are they very high maintenance in shots, that kind of stuff? Um, if you could help me out with some information about that. Okay, I'll do my best here. <laughs> well, um, <laughs> Sean, I'll have to tell you that my majority of my patients are dogs, cats, um, creatures with feathers and scales. Um, but we do occasionally see goats at my office. And most cases of when I see goats is unfortunately when they're attacked by dogs. Um, and they also uh, are prone, the males are prone to urinary blockages. So those are kind of the emergency reasons that why I tend to see goats here. Um, but, but goats can be great pets, and a lot of people really love them as pets, as well as, you know, the milk production and, and all the herd management. So, you know, I, I personally haven't had goats, but I know a lot of people who really love them. In okay. fact, at vet school, we had some goats that were really affectionate, and they always came up to the, the pasture fence, um, and we really bonded with them quite a bit. So they were pretty cool. Um, they do have some needs, though, um, and um, a couple things that you'd probably want to keep in mind. Um, they will need some vaccinations, and they do need a really vigorous deworming protocol. Um, do you know if there's been animals on this land that you've already that you purchased? There used to be horses on it. It used to be a horse pasture, um, and it's just really grown up. So I know that, as far as I know, that's the only thing that's ever been on there before. And the horse barn was totally cleaned out. We totally cleaned it out. There's no remnants of really anything left. Um, when they left, they took, like, the floor out, so they had to clean everything. They used to have a rubber floor in there for the horses. There's really no... Mm, are you right? Manure? Manure, is that a good word? <laughs> um, it works, yeah. <laughs> um, I love it with the Minnesota accent. It even sounds uh, classier. <laughs> it does. Oh, okay. a little bit of a... uh, so um, it's been like three years. It's There's really no remnants of that in, uh, you know, even out in the pasture, really, because it's kind of that you can see because it's so grown up. And then, um, you know, the barn has been totally cleaned out. Okay, excellent. But, uh, yeah, you, you will definitely want to see about getting them vaccinations. Um, and then goats primarily are, you know, hay eaters, so we stay away from the grains, and we try to stay to all the nice grassy hays that um, they just uh, will chew on and hopefully chew on that rather than anything within your household or in the immediate environment. But that's the other thing with goats is you got to be ready for that chewing um, behavior, and uh, you want to make sure that, you know, you don't have anything really valuable when it comes to landscaping. Um, you also want to make sure we keep in mind some uh, safe uh, pet plants as well so that they don't ingest a toxic one. So all those things I would definitely research in your area what you have and what is on your property and um, you know then see about getting a you know maybe a starter goat because a lot of people once they get one goat it is very fast and then they'll start getting another and another and they really do kind of grow upon you. Just don't turn your back on them. <laughs> <laughs> I have some friends that learned that one when they uh, got the old butt from behind. <laughs> uh, are there vets? Uh, will it be easy for Sean to find a vet for these goats? 
In that area of the country, yeah, I do not think you'll have trouble. I can tell you honestly, here in Las Vegas, we do have a, a hard time for people finding uh, goats, uh, goat veterinarians. Even in Vegas, huh? Yeah, we have <laughs> horse veterinarians, um, but there's kind of a couple species that fall out of there. You know, uh, potbelly pigs. Um, I'm, you know, I'm one of several in town that take care of some of these species, but it's sometimes a little hard in areas. But in the Midwest and there, you you won't have any trouble finding a, a good uh, goat veterinarian that can you of those things. Are there certain breeds of goats that can tolerate the cold better than others, or are they all pretty much the same? You know, that's something I probably can't tell you. I'll fall back to my small animal roots and I'll, I'll probably misspeak. So, But I'm sure there are, just because with any species, whether they be sheep, goats, um, cattle, um, there are going to be uh, different breeds. And there are oodles of them out there. So, um, yeah, you might have to check with your uh, regional area uh, to see what breed might be best. one 405 to talk to Dr. Debbie right now. Hi, everybody. This is Lori Morgan reminding you to please spay or neuter your pets. Here are today's automotive news headlines. I'm Nick Myers. If you spent any time in San Francisco recently, you may have seen some of the very interesting new Ford Mustang bullets driving around the city. Ford launched the new bullet in San Francisco to celebrate the movie from 50 years ago. With the same color as the original car, Dark Highland Green, the bullet is famous for that 12-minute car chase from 1968. The car's a rocket ship powered by a 480-horsepower V8 engine. It has an amazing exhaust note. For more, go to ourautoexpert.com. Think O'Reilly Auto Parts for all of your car needs. We're close, convenient, and known for our guaranteed everyday low prices and excellent customer service from professional parts people you can trust. Stop by your local O'Reilly Auto Parts today. O'Reilly Auto Parts. Better parts, better prices, every day. This is an Animal Radio News Update. I'm Lori Brooks. A new study of 2,000 cat owners in England reveals that many of them are, let's just call it oblivious, about what foods can be harmful to their cat's health. More than 50% of those questioned did not know that milk, grapes, raisins, garlic, and onions are hazardous to your cat's health, though I can't imagine why you would want to give your cat onions. Uh, Nearly 40%, though, thought it was okay to give a cat coffee or tea, alcohol, even chocolate, which is, of course, a big no-no. But a fifth of feline pet parents didn't even know that their cat is a carnivore. With 1 in 10 feeding them raw vegetables, 1 in 20 of them giving them lettuce. It's amazing they're still alive. Well, the research, which was commissioned by Lily's Kitchen, also found that nearly 4 in 10 cat owners in Britain never check the label when they buy cat food. 1 in 20 simply buy the cheapest cat food on sale, and 15% of them swap from brand to brand, depending on what's least expensive that week. I've often wondered about that. Can you switch the kind, like if you're staying with the same brand, can you go from like a white fish one week to a salmon the next week? You know, anytime you change a diet, even within flavors or ingredients, there's a risk that you can have a dietary upset. So um, some pets may tolerate that change more readily than others. Um, we're not, we won't even get into if they have problems with food allergies because you don't want to go switching food types if we if you have a pet with food allergies. So we want to stay in a consistent diet. 
RatePet.com has announced the findings of their eight-year-long pet ownership study that used the data from nearly 17,000 pet owners across 113 countries around the world. And i got to tell you right up front, I'll just say that this is likely the biggest headline from this study. Uh, It will be that the revelation that children between the ages of 10 and 17 years old say that they got more satisfaction owning pet rats than they did from cats or dogs. Now, keep in mind that during this study, they also would ask adults to reflect on times when they were kids. So a lot of this is hindsight, too. But other findings on the dog versus cats debate, women like cats more than dogs. That's a big generality, though, right? Mm. In contrast, men like cats and dogs the same. Hal, I can see you over there in your studio jumping up and down with a yay for me sign. Of course. Um, (laughs) From the size matters category, women and men, both according to this study, are more satisfied with larger breed dogs than the smaller breeds. But this was especially true for men, who they say are happiest with large and giant dog breeds. Another little nugget we extracted here. Men who describe themselves as moody or anxious tend to be less satisfied with cats than less broody men, shall we say. Now, in contrast, moody and anxious women, they tend to enjoy cats just as much as their happy, calm counterparts, also women. Now, and the least favorite pets to own. This was a pretty funny category. What would be your guesses? They, they asked about 32 different animals 32 different types so imagine you know a pretty big choice you have here what would you say would be the least favorite pet to own guys monkeys snakes fish ah no none of those really based on the no none of them based on all of these out of the 32 types of pet and livestock animals that they included in this survey the least favorite pet to own uh two of them geese or scorpions geese or scorpions mm. okay i get the scorpion thing that's pretty <laughs> yeah i get that too <laughs> geese i'm sure we've offended some geese people out there but we didn't mean to okay we've just lost our entire goose pet owning population <laughs> that's listening and i i am so sorry i apologize so sorry yes. the opinions are Please not necessarily back. those of the station <laughs> you're right it's all my fault me Lori Brooks. You can get more breaking animal news anytime at AnimalRadio.com. This has been an Animal Radio News Update. Get more at AnimalRadio.com. You're listening to Animal Radio. If you missed any part of today's show, visit us at AnimalRadio.com or download the Animal Radio app for iPhone and Android. Animal Radio celebrating the connection with our pets. Judy, you've done a DNA test on your dog. Is that correct? Several. I did. You did two. You did a. I uh, did a cheek swab, and I didn't think it was very accurate, so I did the blood test because mm. I wanted to find out what kind of dog she was, and what kind of behaviors I could expect, and what kind of diseases that go with the breeds that wow. I could expect. You you lifetime. really did your research there. Yes, I did. Yeah, and I did the same for Boss because, you know, he was a little mutt that we rescued and, uh, you know, we DNA tested him just to kind of figure out what the heck he was. Some some of it left our head scratching a little bit, how we could have Otterhound in a uh, 16-pound terrier, but it's, it's kind of a family joke at this point now. So. Otterhound? I don't think I've ever heard of Otterhound. Me either. Uh, they're, they're 
they're large. They're kind of wire-haired and probably about over 60 pounds. So. <laughs> Lori and I, we have not done the uh, DNA tests because we, we just love the animals. We don't, uh, we don't need to know what kind of animals they are. Isn't that right, Lori? <laughs> no. <laughs> no, you're right, but I mean, I think we all love our animals, but I think it would be helpful to know in some cases, especially, you know, diseases and things that some breeds are prone to. Okay. Well, there, the ladies are all being very rational. It appears. We are sticking together today. Yes. Yeah. You know who's on the phone with us is Dr. Lisa Moses. She practices pain and palliative care at the Angel Animal Medical Center, very well-known center in the Boston area. A welcome to the show. Hi, doctor. Hi there. Uh, how much validation should we be giving these DNA tests? Well, it depends really on whether or not you're talking about the tests that tell you about your dog's ancestry or you're talking about the genetic tests that tell you about mutations that might be linked to diseases because those are really two different things mm. I, I didn't realize that so the wisdom panel which i believe is that what you did judy yeah but wouldn't the, wouldn't the breed kind of tell me you know their genetic about their you know their heritage wouldn't that tell me what kind of diseases if if it's if i know what dog it is well yes and no there are some genetic tests that you can do on your dog now that are very similar to the kinds that you can do for yourself where you do a cheek swab on your dog and you send it off and you might get back information about your dog's ancestry but you might also get back a whole list of mutations or genetic variants is the preferred term these days that tell you that your dog has a change in their DNA that might be associated with a particular disease. So it's kind of different than just knowing, for example, you have a golden retriever and golden retrievers in general are prone to a particular kind of cancer. This is about your dog. But back to the first question, how accurate are these tests? Because, again, Judy said she did a, she did a cheek swab, she did a blood test. And they were and, both and different. They both <laughs> completely different, and, and Dr. Debbie's uh, seems to have a similar problem. Yeah, and that is pretty much why we started looking into this, because we heard a lot of these stories. And, again, I think I was much more concerned about people who were starting to use these tests to make medical decisions. Oh, and what we found is that we really don't know a whole lot because the tests are largely proprietary and the companies don't have to tell us the way they do them, what kind of methodology they use, whether or not they validated the results. So we really don't know how useful the information is. It's different than uh, human DNA tests, I assume, which we do know. There are certain certifications with human tests, right? Yes, and that was one of the things that we really found out when we started looking into this is that they found exactly the same issues happened when people started getting these kinds of tests for themselves, and they regulated them so that it, now there's a really high bar for you to be able to say that a genetic variant causes diseases in a person. But we don't have that kind of system in dogs. So it's really hard to know what to do with that information. But I think isn't and we're talking a totally different kind of test. This is one for the consumers to find out kind of, you know, what potential breeds are in your dog. 
versus when, um, as a veterinarian, um, and I have a Doberman pincher walk into my office, and we're going to say, okay, you know, um, we know that they have dilated cardiomyopathy in the breed. Um, this pet owner wants to know before it's either bred or before she purchases this dog, um, what is the potential genetics of the, the dog having or developing that disease down the road? And if they have the genes for that, which that testing is different than what we're talking about right now. Okay. Is that correct? Not entirely, because again, um, the those tests, even if they are blood tests done through individual labs rather than these big panels, we still don't have the kind of follow-up information to tell us how many, for example, you're, you're talking about a Doberman with cardiomyopathy. We don't really have good information to say that of the 10,000 Dobermans that we've tested that have this genetic variant, how many of them actually ended up developing cardiomyopathy? That's mm. the information we don't have. I see. We are with Dr. Lisa Moses. She practices pain and palliative care at Angel Animal Medical Center. And what we've learned so far that, you know, you need to make any kind of decision. You need good factual information. If you get bad information, you can make a bad decision. It could affect the life of your animal. Stick around. Fido Friendly Magazine presents the 10th Annual Cross-Country Pet Adoption Tour. Get your licks on Route 66. Powered by Nissan, the tour travels from Los Angeles to Chicago, stopping at shelters along the way to support adoption events. Companion sponsors Tito's Vodka and Dog Legs join in the fun as media sponsor Animal Radio broadcasts the tour from September 8th to October 14th. Pet Box sponsor Paw Pack and pet insurance sponsor Embrace Pet Insurance support the tour along with advocate sponsors Buddy Belts, Pet Curian, Hands-On Gloves, and Rolf C. Hagen. Attendees at each event stand in line to donate money and spin our giant spinning wheel filled with great prizes they can win. Provided by sponsors like Community Sponsors, Cosequin Joint Health Supplements, Petmate, Dexas, Senden, and Canaday, where all proceeds benefit the shelter at the end of the day. Log on to FidoFriendly.com and find out where the tour stops near you. And who knows, you might just find your new forever friend. You're listening to Animal Radio. If you missed any part of today's show, visit us at AnimalRadio.com or download the Animal Radio app for iPhone and Android. It is Animal Radio celebrating the connection with our pets. We are with Dr. Lisa Moses. She practices pain and palliative care at Angel Animal Medical Center. This is one of the uh, nation's premier medical centers for animals in Boston. We are talking about DNA tests, whether or not they are worth it. Should make, you or shouldn't Should you or shouldn't you, right? Right. Do you have any case studies where somebody's made a, a poor decision based on a DNA test of any sort? Well, the whole reason that I ended up looking into this and ultimately we wrote this editorial is because that was starting to happen. And that started some years ago. There are a number of genetic tests that um, primary care veterinarians are doing in their offices. And what I was starting to see in my practice was primarily with dogs who had neurologic problems. And the hard part about neurologic problems is that, in a certain sense, a lot of them look the same on the outside. And without much more extensive testing, you may not be able to tell the difference between a dog who has a problem in their spine as opposed to a dog who has a problem in the nerves in their legs. So, 
I was getting concerned that people were doing genetic tests and assuming that the cause of what they were seeing was this genetic mutation and not doing further testing to try to make sure it wasn't some fixable problem. Has anybody ever euthanized a dog on the chance that it's going to develop something serious after doing I one do, of these tests? I do think that that has happened is happening and has been happening for a while, and that was really my greatest fear and what um, pushed me to look into this. So ultimately, I guess the question is, should we do the DNA test? Um, I will tell you I have not done one on my own dogs, um, <laughs> if that answers your question. I, I think that if you want to do it to get some information about your dog's ancestry and you're approaching it as something interesting, and you just want the information, but you're not going to do anything to your dog or not do anything to your dog on the basis of it, sure. It's interesting. It's fun. Maybe it will give us some information when we learn more about how to use these tests. But for now, I wouldn't use them to make medical decisions. More of a novelty. Yeah, what do you think, Doc? Yeah, and I have to say that, you know, I, I don't get any money kickbacks from DNA testing, so I have full disclosure, I'm not promoting it for the benefit of, you know, spending people's money, but I do find that, you know, when, especially when we have mixed breeds, um, and, and this is where, you know, don't get angry, Hal, um, pure breeds do give us some great information about the heritability of certain diseases, and this crosses over to people. So by studying those kind of diseases and uh, how that's passed down the line or not passed down the line, it can give us information on how those Similar type diseases might happen to people, but when you have a mixed breed dog, where you kind of don't know what you're getting, um, I think it can be potentially helpful to say, "Hey, you know, I didn't know my dog had um, Yorkie in it. Um, so if he has anything related to uh, a portosystemic shunt, oh wow, you know, maybe that's something I need to be aware of and address if any kind of problems arise." And I think that's where you know, the value can be, and I would never want anybody to get a test and put their pet to sleep because they tested positive for a gene that could cause degenerative myelopathy. But I would say, wow, you know, hmm, you know, you got some German Shepherd in there. You know, maybe we watch for hip dysplasia. Maybe we worry about, um, you know, some other skin diseases that we could have. And it's just that awareness and kind of knowing what you could end up with in the concern levels, because that's why people come to me. Hey, doc, I got this dog. What do I need to worry about? in their course of their lifetime, lifetime. And if it helps give us that clue, yeah, I think it's worth it. I think that is a really sensible approach. And I know that one of my collaborators, Eleanor Carlson, who is doing a lot of research into dog genomics, she's trying to answer some of the questions about that. When you have a mixed breed dog, how much do you have to worry about them being predisposed to diseases that we have traditionally thought of as being associated with a purebred. There are a whole lot of tests out there. Uh, many of them are cotton swabs, cheek swab tests, and others mm -hmm. are blood tests. Are we throwing our money down the, the toilet with the cheek swab tests? We don't have any reason to think that the cheek swab tests are any less um, valid than the blood tests totally depends upon what methodology the lab is using, and that is information that they are not obligated to share with us. But cheek swab testing is a valid way to collect a DNA sample. It's what happens after you collect it and do something with it that matters, and that's the part we really don't know. 
Don't you get a more accurate reading from blood? It's more pure. When you do a cheek swab, your dog could have chewed on a toy that another dog chewed on. It could have their saliva. It could have, you know, been out picking up sticks that other dogs. It could have, you know, stuff in their mouth, isn't it? Won't you get more accuracy with the blood? Apparently not. Um, and I am not an expert in genomic science. I would have to consult with my collaborators on that one. But it is a very valid way um, to do genomic assays in people as well. It's the, it is the usual way that they do it in people. Um, and I think that it depends upon how many markers they are looking at that helps decide how accurate the testing really is, not so much the source material. Dr. Moses, thank you so much. Thank you so much. Hey, thanks for joining us today. It's time for us to get on out of here. Remember, if you happen to have a Yorkshire Terrier, a Shih Tzu, a Pug, or a Mini Schnauzer, check out Dr. Debbie's books, How to Be Your Dog's Best Friend. They're Kindle books, and we have links to everything you've heard on today's show over at animalradio.pet. Hit the As Heard on Animal Radio button when you get on over there. We'll see you next week for more Animal Radio. Bye. Bye-bye. Bye. I'm heading off to the pond down the road to make friends with all the geese that I alienated today. This is Animal Radio Network.